Hello, and welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Ever since I was a, a little kid, <clears throat> I've always I've always been fascinated by names and the significance and meanings of names. And I'm not, not exactly sure where that started from. It might have come from uh, a, a book series I remember reading as a kid uh, by Ursula Le Guin, and their names were so important, especially the main character. And, but but I've had the privilege of of naming five people in this world. And when when it came time for for Joy and I to to pick the names of our our children. We we put a lot of thought into them. Um, we obviously you want you don't want to pick names that you know rhyme to something uh, with something, especially vulgar, because you know that's just too easy for kids, right? I mean, you got to give them a challenge a little bit when they're going to tease someone over their name. But but more than that, we we wanted their name to have meaning to them. We we wanted to in in some ways speak a blessing over them by calling them by that name, and and so you know Hannah Hannah means grace. And her name actually is Hannah Elizabeth, and Elizabeth means beautiful gift. And so God's grace is a beautiful gift. And, and so we would, we would tell Hannah, what does your name mean? And reminding her over and over again, because we want her to go through life always remembering that God's grace is a beautiful gift. And then we got Zoe. Zoe is the, the Greek word for life, but it's not just any life. It's the life of God. And so we'll tell Zoe, Zoe, your life means, your, your name means life and the life of God that's in you today. And so it's just that reminder of who she is. And then we had Isabella. And Isabella is, again, God's beautiful gift, a beautiful gift that she is. And Isabella Joy, this beautiful gift that she, of joy that she is. And then we have Faith, Hope, Love. And, uh, you know, that, that name's kind of, you know, obvious in terms of what it means, but we want her to live that out, live by faith, have hope, and love other people. And then Caleb. You know, we named Caleb after the, the character in the Bible. And, you know, that, that's, that person, Caleb, in the Bible has always been a hero of mine because here he was, <clears throat> you know, he's, he's 85 years old. He spent the last five years going through the wilderness and taking over that, the land that was, or sorry, going through Canaan and taking over the land that was promised to Israel. And it was now time to, to divide up the land. And, and here was Joshua and he comes to his buddy, Caleb, and he says, Caleb, what do you want? I'll, you know, I'll give you anything. You know, there's some nice, comfortable oceanfront property or, or waterfront property that you can have, or you can have this nice, lush area to just sort of settle down. You're 85, time to retire. And Caleb says, 85 years old, he says, give me the high country. Give me the hill country where the giants still are. He's 85 and he's ready to still fight. And I just, I love that warrior spirit that he had. And so I thought, man, I want to bless that on my son. And so we call him Caleb. And so, again, each of their names meant something. And in the Bible, we see that as well. Whenever you see someone's name in the Bible, it's there for a reason. It, it tells us a little bit more about who their character is. It was more than just sort of identifying this person's different from that person. We have some insight <clears throat> into who that person is. And it really, it starts with God. You know, in, in the beginning, the, the fourth word of our English translation, in the beginning, God. The Hebrew word there is Elohim. And already God's beginning to tell us something about who he is. 
Uh, I'm told that in the, the, the structure or construction of the word Elohim is really interesting and significant in that it is a, a singular word in plural construction. All right, what does that mean? Well, <clears throat> for, for English language, for the most part, if, if you want to plural some, pluralize something, you just add the word S at the end of it, right? So you had one table. If you have multiple tables, it's tables. Add an S to it. But there are some words that are a little bit unique and different. So for example, for goose, the plural for goose is geese. We've actually changed the word uh, more than just adding an S on it. Well, Elohim would be basically this idea of taking the word goose and rather than pluralizing it as geese, it becomes gooses, right? Sounds odd, sounds weird, but that's essentially this idea of Elohim, this singular word and plural construction. Well, why is that significant? Right from the beginning, <clears throat> the first time God introduces himself, he's letting us know that I am Elohim, that I am this God, this single one God in three forms, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I think that's really neat and powerful that God's introducing the Trinity right from the beginning, right from the get-go. But he's going to go on, he's going to continue to introduce himself with these many names that we have in Scripture for himself. So we've got this great picture here where, where Moses comes to the burning bush and he's given his marching orders. And Moses, you're going to go into Pharaoh's court and you're going to demand that he releases all of his slaves, all of his free workforce, and, and you're going to march them out into the, into, eventually into Canaan. And, and Moses is like, well, well okay, but by whose authority? Like, who, who am I going to say sent me? What's your name, essentially? Who do I, because no way Pharaoh's going to go for this. <clears throat> So when I say who sent me, who should I say that, that you are? And he famously says, I am, I am, right? The word I am is, is the word Jehovah. And in some ways, what he's saying to us there is that I'm the God beyond time, right? I'm not the God of I was, I'm not the God of the past. I'm not the God of I will be and the God of the future. I am the God of right now, I am. I, I supersede time, <clears throat> But in many ways, I think also what he was doing is, is he almost saying, I am, let me show you who I am. And so we've got now this great lineage or, or list of all these names of God beginning with Jehovah. And it was like, God was saying, I'm going to show you who I am as we exit Egypt and all the, the battles that are fought that I fight for you to set you free. I'm going to show you who I am as we wander across the wilderness, and then I'm going to show you who I am when we get to Canaan. So we have these great names of God. One of them is, is Jehovah Jireh, right? I am your provider. That's what it means. And so we see how God provided for the nation of Israel. You know, when they were wandering across the wilderness and, and there was water from rocks or bitter water turned sweet, how he would um, provide cloud by day to keep them cool and a fire by night to keep them warm, right? He consistently provided for them the manna and quail every day. And so God was saying, I will look after you. I will provide for you. And that's what he's saying for us, that, that you know what? Everything is crazy going on right now, right? And there's, there's, there's health issues, there's COVID issues, there's, there's you know, culture issues, there's maybe financial issues, workplace issues. And God says, look, at, look, look to me. I'm your Jehovah Jireh. I'm your provider. I will care for you. Or then we got Jehovah Nisi. And that means the Lord is my banner. 
That, that doesn't mean much for us in a 21st century world, but back then, you kind of picture warfare and what that would look like. The, maybe you've seen some uh, medieval movies and stuff and how that warfare would look. There was always that guy carrying the, the big banner going in front of the army. And sometimes I felt really bad for this guy. I mean, think about it. This guy's the first guy that's going to get shot. I mean, what chance, what's he going to do with a banner? I'm going to slowly swing this at you. Don't move. I mean, he, the guy didn't stand a chance in battle. But he's leading them into battle. <clears throat> and he had a, it was a place of honor. Think about the flag bearer who, you know, carries the, the nation's flag in the Olympics and the parade there. That's this idea. And when God's saying, I'm your banner, he's basically saying, I'm the one who's going before you in battle. I'm the one that's going to fight for you. I'm the warrior. Fall behind me. I'm going to look after you. And that's what we have. No matter the fight you're in, whether it be a fight against the flesh and addiction, fight against shame, fight against guilt, fight against any kind of spiritual forces out there, fight against whatever you're up against, God says, I will lead you. Fall behind me. I'm going to protect you. I'm your banner. I'm the one that goes before you. And then we have Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. Regardless of the storm or what's going on around you, God says, I will be peace to you. We have Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord is my healer. I am your healer, God says. I will look after that past, that struggle, the health issues. Trust me, I'm your healer. We've got Jehovah Shalom, Shama, sorry, Jehovah Shama, which is the Lord is there. And then there's this one, I never say it properly, but it's Jehovah T-S-I-D-K-N-U-N-U. -N -U. You, you, you try it. You try it. See how, how hard it is. But I think it's Jehovah Tzinku. Probably not. But what it, what it means is really cool. David says, the Lord is my righteousness. I am your righteousness, God says. Do you, do you hear that? Do you receive that? It's not your works. It's not what you do. It's not what you accomplish. God says, I'm the one that approves you. I'm the one that makes you acceptable and good. I am your righteousness. How cool is that? Beautiful name that that is, right? And so we've got so many names. We've got names of Jesus, right? Wonderful counselor, prince of peace. I mean, the name Jesus Christ is amazing in itself, Jesus is the Greek word for the, the Hebrew name that he had, which was Joseph or Yeshua. And, and Yeshua means the one who saves. Great picture there, right? I mean, Joseph, or, sorry, Joshua led Israel into the promised land, and he was the one that led them to victory. And that's what Jesus is. He's our Yeshua. He's the one that leads us to victory. But, but the name Christ is, is also the same word for Messiah, which is meaning Savior. So think about it. Jesus Christ, the one who saves is your Savior. How, how much more obvious do you need to make it, Jesus? Like, are you you're trying to tell us something here? And yet that's what he is. And so we have all these great Lord of Lords, King of Kings, these great names of God to tell us, to encourage us, to invite us to trust him with who he is. Beautiful names. But there's, there's other cool names. Other cool names in the Bible with these characters that we have. And so <clears throat> we're going to tell a couple, some stories this morning here before we kind of see what that means for you and I today. But, but the first story I want to tell you about is, is Abraham and Sarah, the, the patriarchs, the, the fathers and mothers of our faith here. And, and, and Abraham and Sarah, we don't meet them that way. We, we meet them as Abram and Sarai. 
Now, Abram is interesting because Abram means father of many. And, and I want you to imagine Abram growing up. I mean, you know, his whole life, he just wanted kids with Sarah. He just wanted a family. It was his dream. And, and so you imagine when God pulls him out at age 75, he, he says, leave the land of Ur and, and follow me to the land I'm going to give you. And so there he is. He's got, you know, Sarai. He brings his nephew Lot and his dad. And he's got his animals and his servants and everything. And he's kind of trekking across the, the desert and finding these watering holes. Everywhere he can, just sort of water and feed everyone and, and just kind of look after themselves. But that was sort of the, the, the local meeting place. You know, you'd find a well and the whole nation, the whole city, whatever town would, would come around there. And that's where you'd chat with people. How you doing? Where are you from? What's your name? So you can imagine, there's, there's Abram. And someone says, hey, welcome, welcome. What's your name? My name is Abram. Ah, Abram, great name. Father of many. How many children do you have? Uh, I've got none. Hmm. Interesting name Abram is for you. Every time he had to say his name, it was a reminder of what he didn't have. It was a reminder that he didn't have any kids. And he, he had to do this for years upon years upon years. And then one day, God says, I'm going to change your name. No longer will you be Abram. You'll be Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham means father of many nations. So you're going from great father, father of many, to father of many nations. Again, can you picture that? Abram walks out of the tent one day. Everyone gather around, gather around. I'm changing my name. Ah, it's about time, Abram, you've changed your name. What should we call you now? No longer will you call me Abram, great father. You'll call me Abraham, father of many nations. Hmm. I don't think you understand what's going on, Abraham. But yet that's what happened. He became the father of many nations because his seed was Jesus, which then brought the church. And we are all children of Abraham. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're Greek or you're Scottish or you're Irish, although if you're Irish, you're a little bit better off, I think. It doesn't matter. All who name the name of Jesus are children of, Israel, or children of Abraham, father of many nations. But he was doing something different, God did, I think. I'm told that back then, the equivalent of what we would have for initials, right? So my initials, we take the first letter of my first name, first letter of my last name, become RG, right? And, and so the equivalent back then is they took the last sound of your name. I'm kind of glad they changed that convention because my initials of just, I don't think that sounds very or looks very good, right? But, but back then, they would have taken the last uh, initials or last sound of your name, and that was sort of your initials. So Jehovah, his initials, God's initials was Ah. And what he essentially did is he took his initials and he put them in Abram and Sarai's name. And so Abram became Abraham. You hear that Ah sound in there. And Sarai became Sarah. Do you see what God's doing? It's a picture of the new covenant. He says, I'm going to put my life in you. I'm putting my name in you. I'm putting my power in you. And that's what he's done with us, right? That he's put his very life, his very power inside of us. 
And that's what's so beautiful with the new covenant. It's driven by that power. It's driven by his life in us. It's not driven by our efforts and by how hard and how sold out and how determined we are. God says, I'm going to put my name and my life and my power in you. And so forever and ever now, I'm, I'm Christ in Ross. It's who I am. And I'm married to Christ in joy. And we get to share Jesus with one another. And we get to share it with our kids because I've got a Christ in Hannah and a Christ in Zoe and a Christ in Bella and a Christ in Faith and a Christ in Caleb in my house. We're a crowded house. But it's incredible what God's done. And he's, he's dropping hints with these names and these stories for us. But then there's some other names in the Bible. Other names that I think they're, they're not so great. They, but they, again, they foretell something about the character of that person. And so in 1 Samuel 25, we have the story of Nabal. Nabal means the name fool. And boy, did he ever live up to it. This is a time where, where David's on the run from, from King Saul. And, and so he decided to kind of camp out right on the border of Israel and the Philistines. And it made a lot of sense strategically, right? Because if Saul comes, then you can quickly cross the border and, and be in the land of the Philistines. And Saul's not likely to go because now he'd be fighting two wars. He'd be trying to fight David and his mighty men and fighting the Philistines as well. And so they kind of camped out along that border. But that border area was often raided by the Philistines. That the Philistine armies would come in, raid the, the farms and the crops and the, and the animals and so forth, and then quickly run back across the border and be protected. So if you're a farmer along the border, you lost a lot of crops. That was just sort of built into your economic model. That you're going to lose 30 40% of your crops to the raiders that would come across. Until David and his merry men show up. Because these guys became now security. They were the local militia. So any Philistines that came, David and his men would fight for those, those farmers, for those landowners. And so they had a bumper year of crops. They, they had so much food and, and so much cattle and, and just the money they were raking in was just incredible. And so David decides, you know what? I got, I got these merry men. I got a bunch of guys. We need to be fed. So he sent some of his servants down to Nabal and says, listen, we've been looking after you. Can you spare some food to feed us, to look after us, but also that we can continue to look after you? And so Nabal, you know, the servants come up to Nabal and they say, Nabal, you know, we're here with David and he's looking after you. Can you spare some food for us? Nabal's like, hmm, David, David, son of Jesse, David. No, I know no such David. Come on now, think about it. At this point, in David's story, he's already killed Goliath. That, that was a, a little bit of news. He was well-renowned for being a general in Saul's army, right? When Saul would come home, Saul has killed his thousand, but David has killed his tens of thousands. So they are celebrating David. And now he's the most wanted man in Israel, right? That's like a Canadian saying, Wayne Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky. Hmm. I don't know who Wayne Gretzky is. I mean, even my mom knows who Wayne Gretzky is, right? So there's no way he doesn't know who David is. He just doesn't want to give him anything. He's just looking out for himself. And so he gives him nothing. So then servants tell David, and David goes, yeah, he doesn't want to give us anything. He's just being greedy. And David's like, well, maybe I need to go introduce myself, me and my sword, to him. And he's furious, and he's angry over this. 
Well, Nabal's wife, Abigail, hears about this. Hears about the fool that his husband, her husband is. And so she quickly gets some food and gets some servants together and says, listen, go and, and you know, give him this. Look after this. And she intercepts David and she pleads, please, please, please. My husband, Nabal, he's a fool. He's an idiot. Please understand. Show him mercy. I've, I've given you all this food. She comes to his aid. And so David spares Nabal's life. Except he's a fool and he ends up dying that night anyways. But you see the picture, we see the story of who he is. Another story, I love this story in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10. It tells us the story of Jabez. Now, you, you might not, maybe you recognize Jabez because there was a, a bit of a movement a number of years ago on this name. And they, it was all around this, this prayer of Jabez. And, and the story of Jabez is really interesting because it, it shows up in this, this chronological history where, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so. This is, this is the moment in the Bible, if someone's reading through their Bible, this is, this is where we're going to lose a lot of people. I mean, this, this is some muck and some hurdles and, and people just start to fade at this point because it's just like name after name after name and they're all really hard to pronounce. And then suddenly we come across this guy named Jabez. And the name Jabez means pain. Because what happened here was, was he was born in great pain. His mom had incredible labor pains here. And so you can imagine, she goes, man, you are such a difficult labor and delivery. I'm going to call you pain. And so that's what he grew up with. Can you imagine that? That that being your name? I mean, kids, kids can be pretty brutal on the best of times with the best of names, but to have that name pain, I mean, that's just too easy for them. But to have your own mom and dad, every time they, they call you, hey, pain, come to dinner. Hey, pain, how you doing? Every day they call you by name, they're reminding you, you're such a pain to us. You're so, you made like so difficult for us. Can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine the, the, just the, the despair and the depression that he would have lived under? Always being reminded he was such a pain to people. So he's, he prayed this prayer one day. He says, God, would you enlarge my territory? Would you bless me so that I wouldn't be a pain to people anymore? You see, he didn't want to be around people anymore because it was just so hard for him. Because he was constantly being reminded of, of the rejection that he was experiencing. Sadly, what, what is Christianity? They take that prayer and they make it into a 40-day prayer of Jabez. You pray this prayer and God will bless you and he'll give you more you know, influence and more money and a promotion, a bigger house, a nicer car, and a, a better spiritual life, of course, as well. But it was really all about material stuff. And, and, and we lost sight of what God was doing. And so God got on to that prayer. He didn't need to pray it for 40 days. It wasn't about prosperity. It was about healing. God wanted to heal Jabez from the shame that he was under. That's our God. Incredible story. Or then, then we get the story of Jacob. And, and Jacob, uh, you know, I, I know you're out there, Jake, but, but, but the name Jacob is interesting. It, it, it means liar, deceiver, supplanter again it's it's an interesting name i i think the name's been redeemed because of the character that jacob went on to be right he, as we're going to see but but back then that's that's really what the name in hebrew meant 
And again, the story is really interesting. Uh, Jacob, his mother was, I forget this, it was Rebecca, and, and she was carrying twins. And, and so there was Jacob and Esau were in there together. And they, Rebecca reported like there was a war going on inside of her belly. It was just this massive fight and this battle. And, and it was like somehow they knew first one out wins, right? So they're kicking and fighting and going. I mean, it's weird enough having one baby just sort of every so often kick. I can't imagine what it'd be like for her having two babies fighting in there, right? Uh, I hope she like sold tickets to watch because that would have been interesting, right? But nonetheless, she, they, they have a fight and they seemingly had knew first one out wins. They probably didn't know one what, but it mattered to them. And so they were battling and Esau comes out first. And they catch baby Esau, and Esau he comes. He's all red, and they they look at him and say, "Well, yeah, he's red. Let's let's call him that. Let's call him red, because that's what Esau means." And so he's red. And then immediately, holding on to red, holding on to Esau's leg, his ankle, out comes baby Jacob. Like he like he's trying to pull Esau back in. Imagine that labor and delivery, right? Uh, don't it's not good right so he's trying to pull Esau back in and then he comes out right away and there's there's mom and dad there's Isaac and Rebecca going oh isn't that cute he's trying to supplant his brother he wants to be the firstborn he wants the blessing we should call him that little cute supplanter little cute deceiver little cute trickster and fraudster and that's what they call him call him Jacob guess what he lives up to his name, right? He, he plays a, a little trick on Esau for the birthright, right? Sells it for a bowl of soup, but it goes to show how much value Esau really had in his own birthright. But then again, Jacob came by it honestly because his mom was a bit of a, a trickster and deceiver and a supplanter as well. Because now it came time to pray the blessing over the firstborn. And so Isaac's favorite was Esau and Rebekah's favorite was, was Jacob. And so he, he says to, Isaac says to, to his son Esau, he says, go and make me my favorite meal. Go hunting because you're a hunter. Make my favorite meal and I will bless you. Well, Rebecca heard this and she wanted Jacob to get that blessing. So she says, quick, listen, your, your father, he's, he's blind as a bat. And so listen, go and, go and put on some, some goat skin because your brother Esau is really hairy and go put on his clothes so you smell like him. I'm going to make his favorite meal. And you go in pretending to be Esau that you'll get the birthright, the blessing. So he does all that. And he shows up and, and, and there's Isaac. goes, you, you know, come closer, Esau. Here I am, father. You sound like Jacob, but you feel like your brother. And you smell like, your, like Esau as well. So, okay, I will, I will bless you now. So he prayed the blessing. The firstborn blessing over Jacob. Well, by the time Esau shows up, he gets wind of what happened and he's, he's, he's like furious. He says, well, give me something. He goes, I can't. I've given the blessing already to your brother. And so Esau's so angry. He says, listen, the day our dad dies, there's going to be two funerals, one for dad and one for you. I'm not going to kill you today out of respect for dad, but when he's gone, I'm after you. Well, Rebecca and and Jacob freak out over this, so they send Jacob to go live with Rebecca's brother uh, Laban, and and kind of live in, in witness protection, uh, you know, uh, authority sort of thing. And so he's hiding out, and and while he's there, he he falls in love with Rachel. And he says to his uncle Laban, "Laban, what do I need to do to marry Rachel?" 
So we'll work for me for seven years and she's yours because you got no dowry. So he works for seven years. And in some ways, it was the longest seven years. In some ways, I think it was the shortest seven years because it was so worth it because he, he was so in love with Rachel and her beauty. And so it's his wedding day and he gets married and he wakes up and there's over older sister Leah. And he's like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't want Leah. I didn't order a Leah. I ordered a Rachel. And he goes and he confronts Laban. He goes, what give? We talked about Rachel. And Laban says, well, I couldn't marry the younger before the older. But listen, you work another six years, Rachel can be yours too. I think personally, I think this is why if a bride shows up in a veil, it's why they lift the veil now, right? They want to make sure I'm getting the right sister out of this deal here, right? So, He's now, he ends up, he ends up marrying. He says, I'll work six years, but I'm marrying up front. I want the goods up front this time. And so he's now got two wives after 13 years. And he's got some kids because Leah had some kids. He's got family. He's got to look after them. And, and Laban's like, listen, I'll tell you what. Uh, actually, no, it's, it's, it's Jacob's like, he says, listen, I don't want any more wives. I don't want any more family members here. But listen, I'll, I'll work for you. And here's the deal. Instead of you giving me another wife, you keep all the good unblemished sheep. And I'll keep all the blemish because they're worthless. Laban's like, sure, sounds great. And so he's, you know, tending after the sheep, looking after them. But Jacob, little schemer, little fraudster, deceiver, he organizes it in such a way that all the healthy sheep are the unblemished, are the blemished ones, sorry, and all the weak and, and sickly ones are the unblemished ones, meaning that the unblemished are worthless. And although they're blemished, they're fat and they're still of great value. Well, how does Laban feel about that? He's furious. He's angry. And now he wants to kill Jacob. Jacob's just got that, you know, special magnetic personality, right? Just everyone he's around wants to kill him. So he's got to leave Laban now. And he's trucking back home. And now dad's passed away. And Esau hears word that, that Jacob's coming home. So he gathers 400 of his closest friends, not to help him move, but to fulfill the promise. So, so Jacob's freaking out over this. So he thinks, oh man, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll, women and children first, right? I'll, I'll send them in each different directions. And, and that way I'll see which way Esau goes to. And I'll try and bribe him with a bunch of goods and see if that placates his anger. Except it doesn't work. He rejects the bribe. And he's still ready to kill Jacob. So Jacob's freaking out. And then he has this all-night wrestling match with God. The angel of the Lord, God himself comes. And Jacob's fighting with him. And he's wrestling with him all night. And God says to him eventually, because you will not relent, because you will not give in, I'm going to leave. At which point, I think Jacob freaked out. Because I think he knew God was his answer. And so I don't know if he just kind of instinctively went back to what he knows, but kind of like in the womb where he just grabbed onto Esau's leg. He does that with God. He grabs onto the leg of God and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Probably thinking like protection and, you know, I'll lose everything, but I'll be okay somewhere else. And God looks down at him and asks the kind of question only God would ask. What's your name? In that moment, Jacob has to say, Jacob, I'm a schemer. I'm a deceiver. I'm a liar. I'm a fraudster. See, at that moment, he has to recognize the problem's not Esau. It's not Rebecca. It's not Isaac. It's not Laban. It's not Rachel. It's not Leah. It's not the kids. The problem's me. And God says, I'm going to change your name. 
No longer will you be Jacob, now you'll be Israel. And Israel means one who prevails with God. One who now who prevails not against God, but with the strength of God. And then he touched Jacob's hip, and he knocked Jacob's hip out of joint. And what's significant about that is Jacob's this fighter, he's this wrestler. But a wrestler, you take a hip out, he's got no strength anymore. He's basically standing on one leg. Little children come and knock over a wrestler on one leg. And now he's going to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. He's going to walk differently. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what happens with you and I? When God comes along and he, he touches us, we're made weak in some ways, but we've got the strength of God inside of us. And so where we're weak, we're strong. And we begin to walk differently, even with a limp. And people will see that limp, but they'll see the strength in the limp as well. Beautiful pictures here. Wish I could tell you more. I'll tell you briefly this one really quickly. We have Daniel and his three friends. Um, you know, Daniel means a great name. He's the God, the Lord is my judge. And when they, they kidnapped him, uh, you know, the Babylonians, they tried to change their names. And, and Daniel became Belshazzar, one who hides in secret. That's what they wanted to call him. But, you know, they go from the, the Lord is my judge to there's something sneaky about you. There's something shameful about you. And they did that with, with Daniel's three friends. Uh, Hananiah became Shadrach, uh, Mishael became Meshach, and Azrael became Abednego. All of them, they had these beautiful names and they try to shame them and, and you know, try to, to say something wrong about them. And so sometimes they change their names in a negative way. And then we have Simon Peter. I love this one. Simon. Jesus says to him, you are Simon, but one day you'll be Peter. Simon means, means easily swayed. Doesn't that describe Simon Peter? I mean, one moment he's like, I will die for you, Jesus. I will fight for you. I will, I will be the one that doesn't abandon you. And then a few hours later, Jesus, I, I don't know who you're talking about. I, I, don't, I don't know this Jesus character. Denies him three times. Easily swayed. Which way the winds are going? You are Simon. You will be Peter. Peter means rock. And that's the man who would eventually die for his faith. Would be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the manner of his Lord. Tradition tells us. You are Simon, but because of the cross, you are going to be a Peter, a rock. And then, then you've got uh, Barnabas. Barnabas, you know, Paul's friend, that's not his name. It's his nickname. His name was Joseph. But they call him Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement, son of consolation. I mean, how cool is that? That, that I imagine his character was one where he just encouraged people. He, he was probably the king at affirmation, encouraging and building people up. No wonder Paul wanted to go on mission with him. Because I, on mission journeys and, and fights and all that he's going through, I bet you he faced discouragement like no other. But you'd have Barnabas right there saying, hey, Paul, proud of you. I'm so impressed with what you're doing and how boldly you fight and how well you articulate the new covenant. You keep going. I'm right with you. You and me together, we can trust Jesus. We can, we can do this. That would have uplifted Paul's spirit. And so basically they dropped his name and just, listen, you're such an encourager. We're just going to call you that. Could you imagine we do that in the church? That we just, just, we're able to 
to call people by that, that wonderful characteristic of being such an encouragement, such a joy, such a great help, such a, such a support, such a great lover, such a great giver, just on and on. That's what they had. And then, then we have the Apostle Paul, who's really Saul. Saul was a very powerful, respected name. Be like in England, you know, names like Henry and George, right? They're named after kings. They mean something. Powerful names. Well, Saul was King Saul. It was a very well-respected name, and not just in, in Israel, but especially in the tribe of Benjamin, where Saul was of that tribe. And so now we have Saul the Pharisee, named after this great mighty king. It was a name of power and respect. But after his salvation, after the road to Damascus, he goes by the name Paul. And Paul means little one. When I, a little side note, when I found that out, I, I had a little chuckle because I'd have an older brother named Paul who would, older, three years older, <clears throat> bit of a bully at times, Paul, little one. <laughs> Anyways, that's a side note. I'm getting counseling, don't worry. But <clears throat> what's beautiful about that is he's gone from this proud name to Paul, little one. So I think of a verse like Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I think let's, let's put his name in there. Saul has been crucified with Christ and he no longer lives. But Christ now lives in Paul. See, I shared all those stories to get to this one point now. That was all introduction. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to start the hour-long message. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. But this is, this is all intro just for this moment. I want to read a verse to you, Revelation 2 and verse 17. The Apostle John he records the words of Jesus and he says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit has to say. So basically he's, he's talking to believers. Anyone who is an overcomer, anyone who is a, a Christian, pay attention. He says, listen up, I'm saying this to you. To him overcomes, to, to all believers, to all who name the name of Jesus, I will give some of the hidden manna. A manna is bread, right? Remember Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Literally, I'm the manna of life. So when he's saying, I'm going to give this hidden man, he was talking about his life. That the moment you and I accept Jesus Christ, he says, I'm going to give my life to you. It's inside of you. It's incredible. That, that's what you and I already possess. We, this life that's hidden in us. Colossians 3 and verse 4. But he goes on and says, and I'll give also him, I also give him a white stone. And all theologians agree this white stone speaks to your purity speaks to your righteousness, speaks to your holiness, that he's already made us because we got a new spirit that's born again in this way. He says, I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. What's interesting about that is this new name also implies that you have an old name. And, and that old name isn't talking about the name that your parents gave you, per se. That old name really speaks to the names that you've called yourself, the self-talk, who you see when you look in the mirror. And, and those names aren't necessarily the, you know, Bob, 
Tom, Sarah, Susie. They're not those kind of names. They're a label. And, and it's really important for us to understand that old name. Because that name is the messages of shame that we've been carrying through our whole life. When I, when I was reading this and thinking about this, I remember praying, God, okay, show me what my old name is. And he, he took me back to a moment in, when I was uh, in grade eight. And the, the school I went to, um, what you, you go out for recess and you go out for lunch. And when it was time to come back into the school, you'd have to line up in your grade. And it was a JK to eight. And, and so I'm in grade eight. And we'd all line up in front of the school doors. And, and the doors also had these windows beside it. And it was all tinted. So it had a mirror to keep the sun out. So basically, the whole school is standing in front of a, um, a mirror. And here I was in grade eight. I was going to John Knox Christian School, good Dutch reform school with lots, lots of Dutch kids. Now, if, if you don't know this about the Dutch people, um, they're all really tall. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is, if it's the windmills or the bike riding or the water or what it is, but, but they're all giants. And, uh, and, you know, my, my class was no different. And so I'm standing beside my, my friend, Michael Haxma, and he was, he was giant. He was huge. But he wasn't just like a beanpole. He was massive, like, like Shaquille O'Neal type massive in our class. And there I was, and I was always the shortest kid in school, or at least my class. And, and I was this little kid standing next to Michael Haxma. And I could see it. And I'm like, for the first time, like, you don't notice when your head's always up when you're talking to people. But I'm seeing in the mirror this difference. And I remember having the thought, is that how small I am? Am I that short? And I, I've been teased. I've been called shrimp and called little and tiny and all that. But, but to see it, I remember, and I can still see it in my mind's eye. And I just was overcome with so much shame in that moment. Because to be a boy and to be small is, it's hard to explain to you ladies, but it, it, it can be such an attack on your manhood. It can just demoralize and emasculate you because it says something about your strength. And I remember looking in that and thinking, I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid to these guys and I've got nothing to offer. That was my name. That was the name I carried through so much of my life. I'm just a kid. With nothing to offer. And I, I try to prove myself. I try to do so much and work hard and you know, be the best at this and be the, the, the crazy one that would, would do things that no one else would do because I had to prove to you. I had to somehow overcome that name, that shame, to say, I've got something to offer you. Problem is, I was always going to be that little kid. And even though now that I'm, I'm kind of average height, I, I still see myself as little. Didn't, didn't help that I married into a Dutch family with a bunch of tall men in the family, that, let me tell you. But again, I'm, I'm getting counseling, don't worry. But I, but I carried that message of shame. Just a kid. For so long. And then one day God told me, you know what happened to just a kid? He's the one that died. You see, up to that moment, I knew that my old self was crucified with Christ. I knew that, but I didn't know that that old self was an actual person with an actual name. 
And God reminded me, he says, that old man, that old self, that old you, that was just a kid. And that's the person that died and is buried and doesn't exist and doesn't live anymore. The problem is you have a striking resemblance to him and the flesh will convince you that that's who you are still, that you're still just a kid and you've got all kinds of things to offer and prove, but you don't have to anymore because he doesn't exist. You're born again. And I, as your heavenly father, I've given you a new name, a name that's so precious, Revelation 3 tells us, that you don't have to tell anybody. means so much and, and and god gave me an, and, I, and i thought about i wasn't going to share it actually i wasn't going to say it because it is so precious to me but but i want to share it with you guys because you're precious to me too so the name that god's given me is strong and courageous and he said to me you're a warrior you're meant to go and fight for people and that's what i do Every day that I know how, I try and fight for people to know who they are in Jesus, to know the freedom they have in Jesus. That we won't let shame, we won't let the flesh, we won't let the enemy win. That we'll say no to them, we'll follow them, we'll trust Jesus. And he says, I'm, I'm gonna call you strong and courageous because you're gonna go fight for people. You're gonna stand the battle and it's not gonna be easy. And that's who I am now. And I've discovered that, that you have more than just one name. You get multiple names kind of like middle names you got a bunch of names of who you are so i i want you to think about that for it for you what's what's your name but before you figure out your new name you got to know your old name and maybe while i've been talking and sharing my story maybe maybe you've been hearing what the old name is for you my experience is people people know their old name pretty quick because it, it just feels so comfortable, feels so natural. It's just what they've lived with their whole life. And maybe it's rejected, not good enough, used, dirty, abused. Maybe it's, it's a piece of crap. Maybe it's not the Christian version for crap. Maybe it's, it's a long phrase like mine, good for nothing, never will amount to anything, failure, black sheep, embarrassment, Maybe it's just a bunch of names all strung together, a bunch of words. And, and that's the old name. That's the, that's the weight. That's the shame. Those are the messages that you've been hearing over and over again as you go through life. When you look in the mirror, that's what you see. I want you to know a person's dead. The person was crucified with Christ. The moment you, you turn to him and place your faith in him and you're placed in Jesus, you're baptized in Jesus, you're baptized into his death. That old, shamed, old person that you used to be is actually dead and buried. And you've been given a new spirit, a new heart. You're a brand new person, a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us. Father's given you a new name Today. You're not this nameless child until you show up in heaven one day. When you were born again, he gave you a new name. And I want to invite you, after you know and hear what the old name is, I want to invite you to ask Father, what's my new name? Who am I today? And sees what, he, sees what he tells you. And here's the thing. 
When you hear your old name, you're like, oh yeah, that's what it is. It's so familiar. It just fits like a glove. When you hear your new name, your first reaction will be like, oh no, that, that can't be it. I, I must be hearing things. I must be hearing what I want to hear. Can't be that. Because it's so contrary to the old name. You go from rejected to wanted. You go from unloved to beloved. You go from ugly to beautiful. You go from worthless piece of trash used to precious treasure, precious pearl. And you'll hear it and it'll just sound so awkward. But that's who you are. And Father's inviting you to lay hold of your name. Live from who you are. I really believe, I really believe, guys, listen, if we can understand who we are in Jesus and who Jesus is in us, those two simple truths, watch out. Because we will bring such light to such a dark world. And the name of Jesus will be proclaimed, living from who we are and from the life that Jesus has given us. Let me pray. Father, hmm. <laughs> you are, your father. And as a father, you get to name us for your children, born again in the spirit, new creations. But we got a past, we got a history, a history that the flesh, shame wants to remind us of over and over and over again. That we've heard so many times it becomes familiar. It's just natural. It's like a habit. Father, would you show us that that's actually not who we are? Would you, would you tell us that those old labels, those old names belong to someone else who died and is now gone? That in my case, just a kid was crucified with Christ and no longer lives, but Christ now lives in strong and courageous. That Saul became Paul. Simon became Peter. Would you tell us who we were to then inform us with who we are? Tell us what our new name is and that we can live in the freedom and the power of that. In your name we pray, amen. Listen, guys, it might take some time to figure out what your old name is. It'll likely take a lot longer for you to figure out your new name. Some people get it right away they're just, and they're blown away by it. Others, it takes weeks and months. Whatever you do, I encourage you, find someone you trust. Find someone that you can, you're in community with. Maybe your spouse or a friend or, or someone that you say, listen, can I tell you, this is my old name, this is my new name. Am I, what do you think? Am I hearing from Jesus? And let, let them encourage you that that's exactly what Jesus is calling. Have a great day, guys. May you, be May you know who you are and who lives in you. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.